Okay. Well, good morning. It's great to be back with you. And uh, I appreciate the opportunity to finish up Jude. I know it's not been, um, it's not a long letter, but it really has been, uh, it's been good for me as I've been um, just able to read the whole thing. So every time I come to it, it's only one chapter, right? So I can, I just read through the whole thing and, and uh, take the letter in context as I've been, as I've been preparing, reading over it really these last few weeks at different times. And so just as an overview, in case you were not here for uh, the earlier two messages, Jude starts out and he says he's going to, or he has a plan to write a longer letter and really deal with some different issues. But uh, then he says, there's a more pressing matter and that pressing matter causes him to sort of change the subject. And then he uh, writes out this, um, what apparently is a much shorter letter than he intended. Um, but he thinks this is really important. And that pressing matter really was that false teaching was creeping into the church. And we've said uh, for a number of years, and we, we maybe you heard it while we were um, there at their uh, in person at IBCBI, is that uh, right belief drives right practice. Right belief drives right practice. And, and I think that's the, uh, the issue that Jude is getting at in a good bit of his letter. He, he's talking about false teachers and then he says, you know, these people are false teachers just because of the way that they behave. Their theology is wrong. And you know their theology is wrong because, because of the way that they live. And he goes on and he calls these people, um, which I think are really just beautiful kind of pictures, rainless clouds and uh, fruitless trees in autumn. We, uh, we were expecting some rain yesterday at our place and so we could tell the wind was picking up and the sky got dark and uh, we were watching on our phones the radar the weather radar and we were looking and I said you know it looks like it, it could just blow right around our house like we won't get uh, much rain and it got darker and the wind was blowing and the temperature was dropping and we said oh it's gonna rain and we brought everything in and uh, it started we got a few drops and then that was all it wasn't it wasn't at all what we were expecting same thing with uh of fruit trees in the autumn here in the U.S., we would be getting apples and uh, peaches and different kinds of things that come in uh, in in uh, uh, in September and October and those parts of the time. And so, if you have a tree and you've gone through the whole season, it doesn't produce any fruit. It's disappointing. Uh, I've been thinking lately; it must be durian time there, right? June and July is when you really start to see a lot of durian, and it's just a, it's just an incredible, wonderful, fant fantastic season that I I love and miss. But when there were years that the durian harvest was just lower, it was less than expected, people were frustrated with that. We expected, this is July, we expect there to be durian, and there's not durian, and we're not happy about that. And so that's kind of the analogy that he uses there. These guys, uh, these ladies, they blow in like a storm. You think they're going to bring a lot of rain, but there's really just not much to them. And we have these same kind of issues in the church today. Various kind of groups will be uh, each pointing a finger and they'll say, oh, that person's not living correctly. And you can tell it based on how they live. And the interesting thing to me about this sort of thing is that two groups of people or more will uh, grab a, a specific scripture. They have the same starting point, but then they take off in opposite directions and uh, each claim that the other is wrong. And they each claim the other's te teaching wrongly. They each claim that the other is not being biblical. That kind of thing happens uh, quite a lot. And so if we see in uh, scriptural times, New Testament church times, 
that uh, churches were sometimes being deceived. If we see here people saying that church has lost the gospel or they're not teaching accurately anymore, uh, if we see people that we know that seem to sort of drift off sometimes, how do we know for sure that we are not, our churches are not, drifting off into false teaching? How do we know that we, uh, how, how can we guard against falling into the same sort of situation ourselves? I think that's a lot of what Jude is really going to help us with in this last part of the letter. He, he switches his subject, and in verse 3 he says, Beloved, I was altogether very eager to write to you about our common salvation. I found it necessary, though, to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. And so he's talking about contending for the faith and how important that is. And that's, um, that's what he wants to, what's, what, what we're going to look at today. And as we've divided it into these three sections, then really the last part from verse 20 to 25 is kind of the application part of his letter. And so basically the whole sermon today is just going to be application, not so much um, really about a lot of the words and the background and some of the different parts of this text as much as it is we read all of Jude together, and then here's a bunch of stuff that we can just do based on what he says. That's what he really does in these verses, 20 uh, to 23, and then 24, 25 just has this incredible uh, ending. It's one of the best endings in all of the New Testament. So let's read it together, and uh, then we'll pray, and we'll dig in, okay? So Jude chapter, well, there's one, Jude just verse 20, right? One chapter, so we're going to start in verse 20. But you, beloved building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Verse 23, save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment that is stained by the flesh. And then this beautiful doxology in 24, 25, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for this uh, beautiful doxology first, just what an incredible picture it is and reminder of who you are. And then, Lord, for these practical things that Jude will show us from, uh, from this letter, things that we can be doing 2,000 years later to really be contending for the faith, contending for our faith and contending for faith in the midst of uh, what are difficult circumstances and difficult uh, positions sometimes. And so we just pray that you would uh, guide our time tonight. I pray that you would keep me from error. Lord, would you guard me? And I pray that you would speak to our hearts and help us, Lord, to be able to apply the things that we're thinking about and learning. Thank you, Lord, for the chance to sing together and to worship. And even then, even when we're separated, Lord, we thank you that we have this technology where we can still be connected. And so we're grateful for that. And we pray that you would just bless our time together tonight. Help me to decrease that you might increase, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we get this uh, incredible uh, application portion of the letter. We get this beautiful closing. Uh, we get this help contending for the faith, not only for these believers that he's writing to, but right up until our own time. And we're going to pick it up just there in verse 20, where he starts out, but you beloved, right? Because he had just given a charge at the end of the sermon last week. He had just given a charge 
but you must remember, right? And then he talks about what the apostles were like. Then here in verse 20, but you, but you, beloved. And uh, I just think that's one of the, one of the uh, most incredible little phrases when we find these kinds of things in scripture. Jude had been pointing out that they had fruitless trees in their midst, that they had these people who were expected to produce something, but they weren't really producing anything at all. And then he gets to, but you, beloved, and he makes this pivot and he's drawing the the he's drawing their attention to what they should be doing differently. We've he's talked about fruitless trees, he's talked about false teachers, he's talked about the apostles, but you, and he makes this transition into this stuff that I said that is really, really practical. One group behaves uh, that way, but you, you're going to behave and you're going to be doing something totally different. We see this in Jesus's ministry a lot through the gospels. He would tell people, you be like salt. You be like light. You be like a city on a hill. They can't be uh, hidden. He talks about the Gentiles and how they rule it over. With the Gentiles in power, he says they rule it over people in a certain way. But you, not so with you. He says you are going to be different. In the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about religious people. And we all know that religious people all pray, they all fast, they all give to the poor, all kinds of religious people, whether they're Buddhists or Taoists, if they're Muslims or they're Hindus, all those religions have these same sorts of forms that are in there. And so Jesus is saying the Jews are going to worship this way, or the Jews are going to pray this way, the Jews are going to fast this way, but you, when you fast, you're going to be doing it differently. This has just been a theme that uh, Jesus had, and the apostles took it up. In Philippians, Paul talks about us shining as believers, shining like stars in a dark night sky. We're supposed to be different, so not so with us, but you, beloved, and that's kind of the transition that I think he makes, and then he just goes into this incredible list of things that we can be doing to contend for the, for, uh, for the faith. The first one in uh, verse 20 is um, building yourselves up in the most holy faith. Here he says, you are building yourself up in verse 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up. You, as a believer, are in your Bible, and you're reading other books, and you're studying, and you're reflecting with other people, and you say, uh, what about this? I was thinking about that. I read this, and I think it means this. Does it mean that? What do you think about it? How do you understand this kind of passage? You are building yourself up in the faith. Then the next thing he says is praying in the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to stay connected to God through prayer. We don't just wake up in the morning, right? There's a lot of stress on having a, a morning quiet time. And, um, and, and you get up in the morning. And if we're not careful, we can turn that morning quiet time just into uh, a time where we read a little scripture. And then we lay a to-do list before God. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to bless this person, bless that person, bless this, open this person's heart, uh, help me at work. Uh, we, this person's sick, heal them, right? We can just give God a whole big list of things that we want him to do without really ever stopping and having a conversation with him. But I feel like praying in the Holy Spirit is us stopping and being in a conversation with God. We're reading something in the scripture and we say, Lord, what does that mean? I, I, don't, under, I don't understand. These two things don't seem to go together. How could that be? I know that it's because I'm not understanding well. How do these two things go together? And we pray and we have this conversation with him. We're looking for answers in the scripture. When we're asking for help, we look for the answers to come out of scripture. We're in this sort of uh, this conversation where, where we're speaking and then he's responding. And listen, 
where he's speaking and we're responding as well. It's just this kind of back and forth that we have with him. We pray in the Holy Spirit. We keep ourselves in the love of God. And so the question I think is very individual. How do you, how do, you do that? How do you keep yourself in the love of God? And Jude doesn't give specific direction about this. I think that's something that we'll uh, find is going to be different for different ones of us. Maybe uh, we, we would have a service like this. And, um, and then, you know, in better days, we could have lunch together with some people and say, uh, what did you think when that, that song, what do you think about that? Uh, uh, what do you think about what a beautiful name it is? What do you, what do you like about that song? Or what about uh, that thing where he says, building yourself up in the most holy faith? What, what do you think that really means? Do you, do you think that, that Craig had it right? Or do you think there's uh, something different we could do, something specific? Now, now we may have to do that kind of stuff over Zoom, but we can still do it. We can have our uh, noodles and we can get our rice or whatever. And we can just have lunch together in front of the computer. And, uh, or even earlier, I was talking to Sam and while we're getting ready, I said, I'm going to put the kettle on and I'm making tea. And we're, you know, he's just looking at the blank wall at the house while I'm wandering around the kitchen. We can have these kinds of interactions, even though we can't be together uh, physically. Some, some of us, it's going to be music. We're going to worship, right? We put our uh, earphones in, or we go for a walk. If we can do that, we uh, listen to some stuff on uh, YouTube or any of those kinds of things. And we have some worship music and that's, we sing, even if we're all alone, we can sing. And that's one of the, the ways that we can keep ourselves uh, in the love of God. For a number of people in this, in this church, I know that they, that they're probably uh, going to keep themselves in the love of God by experiencing God through nature. They're going to want to get out and have a hike and they're going to want to exercise a bit and they're going to get to the top of a hill somewhere and they're going to be able to stop and think thank you lord thank you for this beautiful scenery thank you for the fact that i physically can just make that climb thank you that i have the free time that i have some uh, ability to make decisions about my own schedule and what i do and what i don't do and we can just uh, be out in nature and we can walk and we can just be with a friend and we can appreciate the goodness of god and that's one way those are ways we can keep ourselves in the love of God. The next thing he talks about is waiting for the mercy of the Lord. The Bible has a lot to say about believers persevering. And uh, persevering means that we are continuing even when we don't feel like it, right? If we're waiting in line for, uh, for a film or waiting in line for a roller coaster, or we're waiting on, in line for uh, our favorite restaurant, any of those kinds, if you go down to Fishhead Curry down on John Walnut Book and you wait in line, you don't, I don't have to persevere when I'm waiting in line because I'm excited about the fact that I'm going to get fish and curry when I get inside. I'm excited when I get to go to my favorite kinds of restaurants. But we need patience and we need to persevere when we continue on, even though we don't feel like it. When we're tired and we think, I don't want to go to Bible study tonight. We persevere when we continue to do those things. When we, when we get frustrated about uh, how things are going. We say, I just, I want to give up. I'm tired of relationships. I'm tired of people leaving. I'm tired of all of these different kinds of things. I'm, I'm tired of the church doesn't move fast enough this way or that way, or we don't have the kind of things that I think we should have. We persevere when we continue to wait patiently on the return of the Lord, even though we don't feel like it. That's how we're persevering. We wait for the mercy of the Lord. The next thing he says, be merciful to doubters. We, uh, in my life anyway, I see a lot of people that um, are just online, right? They're on Facebook and different places, and they're just um, really cruel. They're difficult to deal with when, it, when they get to talking about 
uh, religion and Christianity in particular, they just, uh, they can be really rude and they can be uh, critical and they can be uh, unkind and all these kinds of things. And so they, uh, if we're not careful, we respond with, um, just, we respond right back with hatred. They come with doubt and we respond with uh, hatred. But Jude says, be merciful to people that doubt. Of course, people who don't believe what we believe uh, are going to talk in a, a way that we're not comfortable with. They're going to mock or they're going to say things that are not true. They're going to mischaracterize what the Bible says. They're going to mischaracterize our position sometimes. They're going to say things about churches that are not true. And we just have to be merciful toward those people. When we, when we allow ourselves to get angry and we respond with uh, bitterness, that's not going to draw people closer. That's going to push people away. So we'd be merciful to others. Then we snatch some from the fire. This is maybe my favorite picture out of this list of things that we can do practically to contend for the faith. Because he says um, we have to be close enough in order to grab them out of the fire. So the scripture is giving us this, you be different. And while you're different, you be close enough that you can snatch people out of the fire when uh, you have that opportunity. We need to be different and we need to be close. And we can't be close. We can't be snatching things out of the fire if we're not close enough to grab them. We can get disgusted with how the world uh, operates and we can get disgusted with how people behave. And we can, as believers, just seek to withdraw. That's, that's not just been uh, happening in these modern days. That's been going on since the first century, right? People just go live in a monastery they would separate from the world. They would have their own camp and they would start their own belief system and their own society. And they would say, we're just going to be separate and we're going to wait for the Lord to come back. But we can't make a difference in the world if we are completely cut off from the world. We just can't. We can't speak a word into someone's life if we're not connected to that person's life. If we have a coworker that's difficult or a neighbor that's difficult, when we stay in relationship or in connection with them, then when a problem comes and they have a death or when they have, a, when they have a sickness and we respond by bringing them a meal or we respond by saying, I'm going to pray for you or we respond by doing something practical to help them, then uh, we have an opportunity maybe then to speak some truth into that person's life. We help snatch people in the fire because we're that close to them. The next one's this, show mercy with fear. Show mercy with fear. We're going to be close enough to snatch people out of the fire, but we're also going to be careful because uh, we just can't do all the things that the world uh, has been doing. I love it when we get to these kinds of texts, like be close, but don't be so close that you, that you get yourself in danger of falling. We have to be careful in those kinds of situations. We show mercy, but we also guard ourselves. Like, for example, you might have a, uh, an opposite a gender person who's uh, having trouble in their marriage. And if the opposite, the person of the opposite gender is having trouble in their marriage, uh, if there's some other lady, she's having a trouble in her marriage, I don't need to meet her for coffee and talk about the trouble she's having in her marriage. Now, there may be some way that I can help, but that's probably a coffee that Angie and I need to have with that lady. We probably need to just make sure that we're guarding our own marriage so that we don't get in a place where we have trouble because uh, we're trying to minister to people as they have trouble. And these are things that we really do need to think about. How do, we, how do we illustrate that concept to show mercy, but to do it with fear? Then he says, hate the garment that is stained by the flesh. And this word uh, in the Greek, really what's talking about is what we in the U.S. call underwear, right? This is the, the garment that's worn, worn under your clothes next to your skin. And so this is about really 
proximity and our mercy showing. Because in the end, we want to make sure that we are um, able to show mercy. We're able to be close. We're able to snatch people out of the fire. But we're also guarding so that we're not in a place where the things that we're seeing in other people's lives, that they become enticing to us. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves interested in things that are the dirty things and, and not the things that, uh, that, that, that we are as believers supposed to be uh, engaging in. So I, I, I think that's what Jude's getting at, at least in that part of the letter when he says, hate even the garment that is stained by sin. Then he moves to this part in uh, 24 and 25. He finishes. This is a fantastic, this doxology, right? It means a saying of praise, and it's just incredible for us as believers. And so we can just take a minute. We can consider uh, how some of these things apply to our lives even today. So Jude says this, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to, to the only God, our savior through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time now and forever. Amen. And so again, there's another list and I just want to unpack the list a little bit. In verse 24, it says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. The truth is I can't keep myself from uh, stumbling. I just, I sin, I have sinned, and I do continue to sin. And as much as I've, I hate some of these things in my own life and I feel like I should do things differently, the more that I rely on my own flesh, the more that I realize I'm just a failure in that, in that particular area and I just need help. But this is saying that Jesus is able to keep me from finally and fully failing. Ultimately, he's not going to allow me to stumble in such a way that causes me to fail. He will not let us fall. Then the next one, he is able to present you blameless before the presence of his glory. I think this is just an incredible, beautiful truth that uh, even though we sin in the past, even though we sin in the present, even though we will sin again in the future, that Jesus is still able to be, bring us blameless into his presence. I think this involves two things. We, we lots of times only think about the fact that uh, we sin and uh, our sin needs to be forgiven, right? So we have that one thing and it needs to be taken away. But we also have things that we're supposed to be doing and we don't do those things. And so I have things that I do that I should not do and things that I am not doing that I should be doing. And so Jesus is able through the sacrifice of the cross to forgive the sin, these things that I did that I shouldn't be doing. But then also through his complete obedience, he is able to pour into me his righteousness so that uh, where I was disobedient by not doing the things that I should be doing, he is able to, to credit his righteousness, his obedience into my account or into your account. And so he is able to present me not just sinless, he's able to present me blameless because I've obeyed the way that I'm supposed to obey, even though I only obeyed in Christ really, and my sin has been forgiven in Christ. He's able to present us, you and me, he's able to present us blameless in the presence of his glory. It's, it's an incredible truth. And then not only does he present us, Blameless, he, present, uh, he presents us with great joy. This got me thinking about uh, the airport, right? Because uh, we've been, I don't know how many times to the airport to pick someone up. 
and uh, especially if you're somewhere like Changi or uh, you're in uh, Kale is not a great example, but some of these places where you can see people come out of customs or out of immigration, and then you see them waiting for their luggage, and then they come through the customs agent, and then they come out the door, and then you're just, you see them and you're so excited, right? I love to watch the families. If you're good, if you go upstairs in the airport, it's always bad. People are crying, they're hugging, and they're sending people away. But if you're downstairs, it's all joy. Their tears and their excitement and uh, mommy's home or daddy's home or I haven't seen you in so long and the people are embracing and uh, the business travelers getting frustrated because everyone just drops their bags in the middle of the floor and they stop their carts and they all want to have uh, all this, this reunion right there in the middle of the airport hall. I, I love that. I love to see it. I love to be part of those things. And so the picture that we have here with Jesus in uh, verse 24, that he's not only presenting us, but that he's presenting us with great joy reminds me of that kind of thing. It, it, it reminds me that I'm loved. It reminds me that you are loved. It reminds me that you are valued. And there will come a time where you, in, in some sort of sense, you will come through the door and he'll greet you and he'll present with great joy. Look who's here. It's just fantastic. It's fantastic news. So what do we do? He's, 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 done, he's done all of this stuff. And so what, what's kind of our response to those things? I would say what he says in verse 25. We recognize that, that he is the only God. And that he saves us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Right? We can respect other people. We should respect other people's beliefs. But we must stand on the truth that there is only one way to be saved. And that way to be saved is through Christ, through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection. People need to hear so that they can understand and they can believe that kind of gospel so they can be saved. Jesus died on the cross. He was buried. He was raised again. And now if a person will place their faith in him, he is willing to not count their sins against them. It's, it's beautiful, right? But we recognize that is only in God and it's only through Christ. The next thing that he says in verse 25 is that we give him glory. Science is fantastic. Science is fantastic. We have a medicine that um, it just would have been unthinkable, right? Uh, just even a few, few dec decades ago, 100 years ago, the idea that you could have a headache and take an aspirin or that you can get an infection and take an antibiotic and then you would be uh, better in a day or so. It's, it's incredible, the kind of science that we have, that you can not just go for an x-ray, but you can go for a, a CT scan or an MRI and you can see down inside the body. You can have an ultrasound and see what's happening with a, a baby before it's born, or what's happening with your heart while it's beating inside your chest. It's incredible. But we recognize that with all the science and all the advances that we have, with all the technology that we have to do things like uh, church in four or five different countries around the world and all these time zones, we still recognize that those things, while they're fantastic, those are things that human beings have created. Human beings have made some amazing things, but God is the one who's really done what is glorious. And so we do great things. He does glorious things. And so we give him the glory. We appreciate the things we have here for sure, but we give him all the glory. We praise his majesty. That's the next thing in verse 25. We praise his majesty. The Lord made an incredibly beautiful world. I, I think this is fantastic for us. He made a beautiful world and 
He made us with the ability to appreciate beauty. He didn't have to do either of those things. He could have just made a world and he could have made a world that was beautiful, but that we couldn't appreciate. But he made a beautiful world and he made us able to appreciate it. He made us, uh, he made us have that capacity to be able to march to the top of the hill, right? To do our hike and then look out and think, this is pretty incredible. I live in a pretty beautiful place. I'm really lucky. I'm really blessed to live in a place like this. While we were still sinners, he loved us. We were separated. And while we were separated, he said, I want to be with them. And so he made a way to be with us. It's pretty fantastic, right? It's pretty, we just, sometimes we just have to stop and praise his majesty. He didn't just make, I like to think of this. He didn't just make trees. He made hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kinds of trees. He didn't just make fruit. He made all of these different kinds of fruits and they all come in at different seasons and we can always have different kinds of fruits. He didn't just make flowers. He made all kinds of flowers. And even when you do, do drill down, he didn't just make orchids. He made all kinds of orchids. It's just, you, we just have to stop sometimes and praise his majesty. He's fantastic. He's, he's unbelievable. And he has allowed us to be in a place where we can think about and we can we can really reflect on these things. We can, we can believe these things. It's, it's, it's all we can do is praise his majesty. Two more things. We revel in his dominion, right? To, to our only God and savior through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, and dominion. God is in control. We may feel like things are out of his control, but they're not out of his control. They're not out of his control at all. And we can rest in the fact that he is in control. We can revel in his dominion. And the very last thing, we can respect his authority because that was authority from, from the beginning. That authority continues right now. And that authority will continue until the uh, eternal future. But it will just never stop. He will always be in authority. So that's how we contend for the faith. We build ourselves up. We pray in the spirit. We keep loving God. We wait for his mercy. We've showed mercy to other people. We snatch doubters out of the fire and we do all those things with fear. We hate these kinds of things that are sin stained and, and, would, and would drag us down if we allow them to. And instead we stop and we revel in the fact that Jesus is keeping us from stumbling. He's presenting us with great joy, blameless before his throne someday in the midst of all of that glory. We stop and we remember that only God could do that. And he only did it through Christ. And we give him the glory and we respect and praise his majesty. We, we revel in that dominion. And then we, we respect the fact that he'll not just do it in the Bible days. He's not just doing it now. He's not just doing it in Malaysia. He's not just doing it in the Philippines. He's not just doing it in Nigeria. He's not just doing it in the UK or in South Africa or Australia or the US or Canada. He's doing it everywhere. He's not just doing it on earth. He's doing it everywhere. We can respect his authority from all time, now, and then in the eternity that is to come as well. Let's pray together. Father, I just think about um, the beauty of that picture of that. But someday, Lord, as believers in Christ, we're going to gather in heaven and we're just going to be able to I celebrate um, this homegoing of believers, this gathering together again. And, and while, Lord, I, I don't think that our time is going to be filled up with just 
uh, saying, oh, let's just uh, sit with uh, this brother or that sister we haven't seen in a long time and let's catch up. Lord, that when, um, when someone comes through that door, we're going to say, Jesus did that. Jesus brought them here. And we're going to uh, resound to the praise of your glorious grace, even in the times that we celebrate these things that we have where we are together again with people that we love so dearly. Father, I pray for families that are just scattered out and uh, pray for Mark on his birthday. Lord, I pray you bless him in a special way today, especially while Caroline's away. I pray that you would provide opportunities for uh, people as they uh, travel or as they wish to travel back to be with family. God, we rejoice together with Lyle and Rita as their family gathers together and they are able to be with these grandbabies. And we pray that you would just continue to bless their time while they're away. And so, Lord, uh, for those who are weeping, Lord, we just weep with them. And those who are struggling, we want to be uh, strength for them. And Lord, when our knees are weak, we thank you that you have given us brothers and sisters to uh, help us to continue along. And for those who are celebrating, rejoicing, and full of uh, happiness today, God, we thank you for that as well. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for uh, this letter from Jude that we, Lord, can read and study and uh, uh, just reflect on even over lunch today, over the, over the days to come this week. We, we thank you for it. We thank you for this time that we've had together. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.